Hi everyone, time for a disclaimer. The information contained in this episode is not intended to be personal financial advice. You should always seek the advice of a professional before making any financial decisions and always do your own research. Let's get into the episode. This is Black Millennial Money. This is Black Millennial Money Boy. This is Black Millennial Money. This is Black Millennial Money, where we talk about how you can make more money, keep more money, invest your money, and spend your money on the finer things in life, all from a Black Millennial perspective. And today, we are with Dr. Racy and Henry. But before we get into all of that, we have some house notices. As usual, some of you are watching, some of you are getting tons and tons of value, but there's a couple of things you haven't done. You haven't liked, you haven't subscribed, and particularly if you're listening to us on an Apple device, or if you have an Apple device in your possession, you need to head over to Apple Podcasts app and leave us a review. Leave us a positive review. It helps so many more people discover the podcast. And if you can just take a few seconds to do that, it will make a massive difference to the number of people that get to learn and get the value that you do too. Lastly, we have a Patreon account. So you can support the podcast. You can support the movement where we're we're sharing life-changing financial education and information with people around the world by just heading over to Patreon and becoming our patron. So that's at www.patreon.com forward slash black millennial money. Now, without further ado, as I said, we've got Dr. Racine Henry in the house. Now, some of you may not have heard of her, but you're going to wish you had heard of her a few years back once, once you finished listening today. So to put it in perspective, we have gone across the pond. So she's in the US of A right now, and we are going to be talking to her about a variety of things. But just so you know who you're really, who you're really dealing with right now, whose company and presence you're in. Um, she's a licensed marriage and family therapist with over 12 years plus of experience in that space. She's been featured on... The Essence Podcast Network, BuzzFeed, Oprah Magazine, The New York Times, Bustle, Black Millennial Money, and more. And her speciality specifically is working with black couples. So she talks about relationships, money, finances, all of the things that can affect relationships and more, specifically with black couples. It's an absolute pleasure to have Dr. Racine Henry here. I'm saying her full name so you remember it. Dr. Racine, how does it feel to be in the house today? I am very honored to be here with you all. I love London, so I'm very happy to be able to speak to your audience in the UK. Amazing, amazing. And um, I'm happy Oprah didn't have you fully booked up so we could get some time in, uh, you know, to <laughs> send her a message on the bat phone so she needs to chill out. I, I got Dr. Racine today. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, just so people get to know you a little bit, because they've seen the accolades, we've gone through it. You're a pretty big deal. Only illustrious guests on Black Millennial Money. But, Thank you. But now we need to go beneath the LinkedIn, go beneath the headlines. So can you tell us three things we should know about you? The first thing is that um, you are in the presence of the next evolution of human because I was born without my incisor teeth. And the dentist told me at a very young age that I am the next evolution. So in the future, many people will not have the two teeth that I don't have as well. Um, I also love food and cooking more than just about anything else in the world except for my daughter, but she it's a very close race between, you know, the two things. Um, I do use food and cooking in my therapy and my work with couples. So that's just how important it is to me. And I have been to every continent in our um, world, except for Antarctica. Um, due to COVID, I wasn't able to fulfill my seventh continent trip, but hopefully soon that can happen. Okay, well, so... Going through that again. So you were born without your two, like two incisors. So those are some of the two front teeth. I'm so you have the at... two front teeth. Yeah. And then you have the incisors. Okay. And then you have the pointy ones. The canines. So okay. I don't have the ones in between. Yes, yeah, the canines. That's a very good way to put it. I don't have the incisors. I just have the two front teeth and then my my canine teeth. Okay. Okay. 
clearly you haven't missed them so that's fair enough <laughs> we'll catch up with you on the evolutionary scale know, down the line. Right? <laughs> um and when it comes to cooking and food you actually use that in your therapy uh, talk to us about how that works so i have a model of therapy that i've developed called a palette for love and um it's basically where i get couples to focus on using the time we spend cooking and eating meals to have some of the difficult conditions that we normally would not want to have outside of therapy. The idea behind it is that we have all this time where we're doing functional things that we can make dual purpose. Mm -hmm. So they'll come with into my office for regular therapy sessions. And then every so often they'll meet in a cooking space where they'll actually cook a recipe, whether it's a full meal or a side dish or something that's a little more complicated. Um, and while they're cooking, I'm facilitating conversations with them. So by the time we're sitting down eating together, we would have been working on some of the things that they're in therapy trying to resolve. Um, and, so, and my hope is that when they go home, you know, in between our sessions after therapy is over, they still capitalize on that time when most of us when we're eating, we're relaxed, we're open to discussion, we're looking for discussion. And, you know, it's just another way to use that time in a way that is purposeful and meaningful and um, forces couples to work together in different ways. Huh. Okay. Okay. That's a, that's a really interesting approach because that is time that everyone has for the most part, unless you live on Uber Eats, but right. um, it's available to us all. To right. And I, I've even published, yeah, I've even published a cookbook to that effect of the same name that has different exercises as well as food and cocktail recipes in it um, to help, you know, during this pandemic when most of us are inside, at least here in the U.S., um, you know, we can use that time to try new things, work on our relationships and just be healthier. Awesome. And just to touch briefly on that Antarctica, just to clarify, that's the South Pole. Yes, it is okay. stuff. Because <laughs> okay, I was thinking... I believe so, at least. <laughs> no, because I know the North Pole, they call it like the Arctic Circle, so I don't know if they would go fully Antarctica with that one, but okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's a good question. So let's just go with yes. I don't know for sure. One has penguins, so we'll, we'll go with that one. So... <laughs> yep, that's it. <laughs> now that we know you a little bit better... Uh, Let's get into really what we're here to talk about. So we are talking about financial triggers on this Keep Money episode. And this is all about the emotional triggers that you have that can impact your finances. We all have them and we're going to unpack them now. So starting from the very beginning, um, what are emotional triggers? Emotional triggers are our body's way of letting us know that something has deeply impacted us. So, excuse me, this can be something that we all, we've all experienced. It's usually linked to a trauma and the trigger um, highlights some remembrance, some remembrance of that trauma. If you think of like hearing an old song and the memories you have attached to that, you might even feel something. You'll probably be thinking of a certain place or person. Um, you'll be thinking of what you were doing when you first heard that song or when that impactful event happened and the song was in the background so that's an emotional trigger anything that sparks a feeling a memory um, even a sense of like taste or smell those things can be emotional triggers okay so um for those of you who are drake fans you may be able to relate to Marvin's room triggering some feels maybe from a long, long time ago that <laughs> you don't like to be a sad song. A fast song too. We'd have to go straight to the ballads, you know? It could be something that reminds you of because there are some fast songs that are tied to sad memories too, right? So and it doesn't have to be a sad memory. Emotional trigger can be a a, a happy memory too. Yeah, and it I guess it's kind of like coming into your home and you're smelling something that was it takes you back like a food that's like ah kind of yeah okay okay so right or trying a new a new restaurant and tasting something that reminds you of something your mother used to make or mm. something you had on a trip years ago those things are all emotional triggers okay okay and are emotional triggers controllable are they something that you can really take charge of so 
you can't control what is a trigger. You can control the level of impact the trigger has, and you can control um, how you respond to the trigger. So the trigger itself, that immediate uh, physiological or mental reaction, mm-hmm. that we probably can't anticipate. We maybe, not, we maybe won't know something is a trigger until we're triggered. Um, but then what comes next, whether we sit there and lament about the memory, good or bad, whether we then take action based on the trigger, whether it's calling that ex you need to leave alone or going to find that dish that you want now because you've been triggered about it, um, those things you can control, right? What you do in response to your feelings, you're always in control of. So if you want to, if you put the work and time and energy into it, you can reduce the impact and the power a trigger has, which may, in essence, remove it from being a trigger altogether. But some triggers are just going to be what they are. Okay, okay. And as you're speaking, I'm thinking that all of my triggers seem to be food-related. I end up in, like, YouTube wormholes (laughs) of watching barbecue videos. Like, this guy's doing ribs, this woman's doing goat and all that. And then within three days of that, I have to eat something that's grilled (laughs) or barbecued. So I guess that's... I can control the latter part. And to some degree, I could, I could pull myself out of the wormhole. But that is an example of, of managing a you situation. You could not watch YouTube, yeah. Mm-hmm. I could yeah. yeah, I could not watch YouTube, but that's a lot harder. But we digress. <laughs> you could choose to watch different videos, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, not to lean into my triggers. And Mm-hmm. Especially immediately after payday, I got you. I got you. See, you're already you're already helping me overcome. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> we are. We're tying it all in, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, when it comes to money and like your emotions, some of the things, mm-hmm. like a lot of us, we there's a lot of trauma associated with money, and it starts early, and yeah, that could yeah. be that could be positive or negative. So, um. Talk to me about dependencies and how those things kind of manifest. So any mental health professional will tell you that the, the way you are is a result of your life experience, right? And our first experiences come from our families of origin, the people who raised us, the culture, environment, space that we were in and the messages that we received from those people. Those are our formative experiences. So when it comes to money, like anything else, how we respond to that and what we do with it is either in line with what we saw growing up or the opposite of that, because we have some negative reaction to what we saw growing up. Um, Unless we learn differently, unless we make a point to have better money management or learn different ways of making money or investing money, We do what we saw or we do the opposite of what we saw. So when it comes to dependence with money, it can be like any other addiction. People use money sometimes to show affection and love because that's what they saw growing up. Um, People use money as an outlet, as a means to cope with their emotionality, whether that means spending money because we buy material things and we feel good because they're new and shiny and designer or or Drake had it on or whatever the case is, or we save money and we become misers with it because that gives us a sense of control that I can always bail myself out. I can always afford X, Y, and Z. Um, There are good ways to be dependent on things, right? We can use money as a means of motivating ourselves. We can use money as a means of elevating our social status or helping ourselves become healthier as well. So with a lot of this conversation, it's dichotomous in that way, that there is a line between healthy and unhealthy. I don't like using the word normal at all. I like to stick to healthy and unhealthy because I think we all can define for ourselves what healthy means and that can be variant and that's okay. Mm. And talking about dependencies as a coping mechanism in that regard, I guess there's because it manifests itself in healthy and unhealthy ways. Like some of us, like a great example is Samuel L. Jackson, actually, the actor, where he had a drug addiction at one stage in his mm-hmm. life. And now he's, depending on how you viewed it, coping with the idea of still having those addictive tendencies. But now he works almost nonstop 
and that's become almost his new addiction, which can seem healthier than his previous choices, but if he goes too far... But it can be unhealthy as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, so that's... Yeah, I think that, that the line can be defined by what you're sacrificing to accomplish whatever it is, right? So with the example you just gave, if his working means he's sacrificing time with his wife and family, he's sacrificing his own physical mental health, he's sacrificing, um, you know, doing other things that'll bring him stress management or bring him relaxation and peace, then there is an unhealthy dependence on work. So it's a coping mechanism because he's not using drugs anymore but he hasn't really resolved it. He's just replaced it with something that looks better on paper, but may not be much healthier for him. Interesting. Okay. And that, that, that comes from a place of emotion as well as vulnerability and all sorts of different places. It's really interesting, the interplay that you can have with these things yeah. and, and how close it can be from, okay, this has literally saved my life to now. The thing that saved my life is now potentially ruining it. Um, yeah, because it's all about coping. We as human beings, we will do anything to feel better. We're always striving to get back to our homeostasis, which is our baseline level of positive functioning. And we employ all kinds of methods and techniques to get back to that good feeling, right? And some of those things are unhealthy things, but they work. So the thing about dependence is if you want to change or eradicate that behavior you have to replace it with something else that is equally as effective or else it's not going to last you're going to go back to what your default is because you know the default works whereas if you try something new and it doesn't work and is not sustainable or realistic for you it's not a real solution it's just a temporary fix it's a band-aid where you need surgery essentially a band-aid where you need surgery and that ties in really well to the next topic we're talking about which is your perception of yourself and how and how money can become intrinsically linked to who you think and feel you are and for me I had that moment which led to me ending up in in quite a bit of debt because I had become known in my head at least and to some degree to the people around me as a person who always had money so when the money wasn't coming in the way it once was keeping up appearances became a thing but Talk to, talk to us about, about how those kind of things come about. Are there gender differences in how that plays out? Absolutely. Um, there, I think there are gender and racial differences. Um, I think it's a very multi-layered section of the topic, right? So uh, based on my research here in the U.S. for men especially, earning potential, um, position you know, of career, late title that you have at work, all those things are tied to the quality of man you are. Um, And that's tied to how much of a partner you could potentially be, and whether or not you'll be a sufficient provider, father, spouse, whatever the case is. So for Black men in the U.S., because they face so many disadvantages and are so marginalized when it comes to education, income, overrepresentation in the prison system, um, the idea of sense of self as it relates to money is even more impactful and has a bigger weight to it. Um, <clears throat> so when you look at the fact that Black people in the U.S., and I'm going to overgeneralize here, um, are more likely to indulge in material things and more likely to, you know, wear clothes that are designer labels or to want a certain kind of car or to keep keep up the Joneses, as we say, Um, all of that is about status, but also about pride and also about ego and self-identity. And so if you grew up disadvantaged and you now have access to education, you have access to a certain level of employment, you're going to want to not only demonstrate how far you've come, but you're also going to want to compensate for what you didn't have when you were younger. And that may mean giving your children more than you had in an overindulgent way. But that's, again, about trying to fill that void of your own pride and your own losses or, you know, things you didn't have. Um, But it's also about this is how I define myself as an adult person. So as an adult Black male, if I can buy this thing or attain this thing and own this thing, 
um, then it means that I've accomplished something really good. And it means that I've achieved something that um, previously seemed unattainable. So <clears throat> showing off and all those things, you know, it definitely is about other people recognizing what you've accomplished, but it's also about wanting to elicit a certain reaction or response or even respect from other people that without it, you may feel like you're not able to get from them. And you talked about that being in the U.S. as a specific thing, because that's, that's your experience. But to be honest, in the U.K., in the U.K., it's not that much different. Like in the past, in the past maybe five, six years, the idea of just 19, 20, 22-year-old black people wearing Dior's and Balenciaga is like, if you're not wearing, if, if you're not covered in, in drip and keeping up with it. So when the new shoe comes out, if you've, if you've still got the shoe from two months ago, you may, as well, you may as well walked in naked. If you're not wearing a Miri jeans or Balmain this, it's like, how, a lot of the time, this wasn't nice until you got the emotional reinforcement that spent, that dressing at this price tag means you're someone. And then as a result, the cycle continues you spend more get the emotional reinforcement you're looking for and then you keep going is that essentially how the cycle works yeah because you can do that in perpetuity you know there's always going to be new drip coming out there's always going to be more to achieve there's always going to be another celebrity or singer or somebody else releasing their own line of whatsoever and if that's how you define yourself you're constantly chasing that high you're constantly chasing that status you're never going to have enough. We can have an enormous amount of material things, right? That's how consumerism works and how capitalism works. And so that's something you can stay entrenched in forever. And if you don't have a good balance or handle on it, it can definitely be a very unhealthy thing. Okay. Okay. And it's, we've spoken a lot about men here or how it, how it manifests in men, but the same is true for people wearing those leggings with the orange boxes on them. You know, if you know, you know, because there's a level of it where it's like you're wearing, you're, you're dressed like two chains where it's like Gucci from head to toe or you're wearing Gucci from head to toe, but you're not being loud because only people who know, know, right? Oh, you guys are wearing rollers. Right, I'm wearing, right. I'm I think this. among, yeah, among women though, I think it's a, a little bit different because Right now with women, there's a lot of quick fashion, right? The fashion novas, the misguided, the whatever else. And so those things aren't very expensive. It's more about athleisure and it's more about active wear and looking like you're either going to the gym or coming from the gym, even though you have no membership and no, no intentions of working out. So with women, it's more about physical features that again, have a price tag attached to it in some cases. So the amount of money you're spending on hair, on body enhancement, lip fillers, tanning, makeup, whatever, um, that's another way in which it shows up in a dependence kind of way. And there, these things cost money. So it's never going to be that you can escape one and have the other. They're, you know, they're interwoven. Okay, the last thing to kind of touch on, it's a big, it's a big topic, but um, the idea of um, that almost that quarter life crisis or the supposed to be in your head not matching your reality and the emotional impact that that can have on you. Yeah. Um, in our day and age with social media, you know, that is such a big mental health concern because you can, all, you can spend literal hours and days comparing. You can scroll through Instagram, you can look all over Pinterest or Twitter or whatever and see the best of the best. People only show, you know, their most happy or most fashionable or most exciting moments. And so if you are so inclined and you take that as here's what I should be doing, you give yourself these absolutes and standards of if I were smart enough, I would have this kind of job. If I were... Um, <clears throat> cool enough I'd wear these clothes if I was in shape enough or pretty enough I would look like this person 
Um, and so those are things that can lead to mental health issues because you're seeing an ideal that is probably photoshopped, filtered, adjusted in some way, taking that as reality, and then you're assigning a value to not only that image you're seeing, but also you sign, you're assigning a value to yourself and the difference between the two things. So in your mind, you've already decided that I'm less than or not as good because I don't look like this. And it's interesting where you've got these emotional triggers where Instagram is probably the biggest emotional trigger ever going. Like it's just nonstop like, oh, how many likes do they have relative to me? That person's prettier. That person's got more money. That person's happier than me. Just a never ending reminder of like why you need more money or <laughs> why you should be doing this. And the idea of not being contented with, with your success, because a lot of us came up against the odds. A lot of us have far achieved more than many of our peers, but we're not, are looking at the le- we're not looking at it through the same lens. We're, it's almost like we're running someone else's race and not acknowledging our own. Right, right. And I think we're also we're also assigning meaning and value to our process and our journey as well. Um, I put something on Instagram the other day that was like, if you can look at where you're at now and smile, then maybe what you've gone through to get there wasn't so bad. Right. And I had all these reactions to it from people of I went through this horrible trauma. I went through that. And I was clarifying of what you went through was real. It happened. It sucked. It hurt. But it served a purpose because look at where you are now. You know, and I think sometimes we lose sight of the positive sides of some traumas or some hardships, because without those things, we may not be the quality of person that we are. We may not have triumphed or learned these new levels of ourselves and we can't escape it. Life sucks sometimes. There are going to be bad things that happen. Um, It's inescapable. Uh, But I think that sometimes it helps in the healing front if you focus on the, the process and you focus on what you've learned and the ways in which you've been resilient and overcome versus the thing you had to overcome because you've already survived that thing. It's already over with. And with most traumas, to come back around to our topic, with most trauma, you can't really begin to heal from it until the trauma is over. So if you're still in the thick of the trauma, it's going to be very difficult to really feel like you're making headway because there's still things you have to cope with. There are still things that you can't anticipate happening, like this global pandemic, right? It is a trauma that we're all going through. To different respects and I don't think we're going to start healing from it until it's over um, and as we're witnessing and noticing especially with those of us in the black community the hits keep coming right we, we're losing people we're, we're seeing people devastated seeing people murdered seeing injustices repeat themselves throughout history and all of those things are traumatic in ways that we haven't begun to address yet okay so just to kind of summarize this section before we move on and head over to the ad break. Emotional triggers are things that we all have, right? We've kind of broken that down. We all have emotional triggers and they can affect you in a myriad of ways. And to summarize it, emotional triggers are things that elicit a response from you either physically, mentally, or emotionally. They don't always need to be negative. It can be a really happy moment or it can be a somewhat negative moment that triggers that. And the interplay between those emotional moments can have an impact on what you do financially. So do you now go shopping because you're feeling sad? Or do you now buy stuff because you want to compete with people or to feel or to get the external validation? And how does that affect your finances going forward? Also, how other people around you can impact your finances. So some of us who have started making money younger than many of our parents and they're aware of the sums of money that we're making, there is that emotional guilt trip of, oh, you're not sharing or you're not doing this and how that emotional trigger of someone who you love asking or coming to you in a moment of need, according to them at least, (laughs) 
how that can affect your financial decision making and the way in which you approach your finances overall. It can manifest in so many ways from dependencies, your perception of self. And the culmination of of that can be really, really heavy. And understanding that you can't just solution yourself for it, that it takes time, it takes processing. You have to come to the other side of it before you can really progress. So that is the first section of our discussion. In the second section, we're going to go through a series of scenarios and ask Dr. Racy some key questions. And hopefully the answers to those questions will help you figure out how you can tackle some of the challenges you may be currently facing or may face in the future. So stay tuned and we'll see you after the break. If you have any questions or dilemmas that you'd like to have featured on our podcast or on our YouTube channel, go to blackmillennialmoney.com, click the contact page and send it to us. Names will be changed or kept anonymous unless you say otherwise. And we are back in the second half of this Keep Money episode where we're talking about emotional triggers and how they can affect your finances. We have Dr. Racine Henry with us today. And in this section, we're going to be going through some of your dilemmas, but also tackling some key questions around emotional triggers and the way in which they can manifest in your life and in your finances. If you would like your dilemmas answered on Black Millennial Money, head over to blackmillennialmoney.com, head over to the contact page, and fill out a contact request and we'll put you in any episode that it makes the most sense where we've got the right guest. So please, please send those over. And without further ado, Dr. Racine, starting off nice and easy, I guess. Are emotional triggers a bad thing? No, they're not a bad thing. They are a natural occurrence that um, you can see as a way to have somewhat of a barometer for how you're doing in life and the things that you've been through. Um, Whether it's a good memory or a bad memory, the things that are impactful are going to stick with you regardless of whether you want them to or not. Of course, you can work on creating a healthier relationship with the negative experiences, but, you know, hurt hurts. Some things are just going to feel the way that they feel forever to different extent. So you can look at emotional triggers as your, again, your body's way of telling you that, this thing reminds you of something else that meant something to you. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Okay. Okay. So they're not a bad thing. It's just, I guess, your body's memory and a part of, mm-hmm. part of living and feeling and progressing. And going through stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, finances are a huge source of stress for most people. Do you have any strategies to help? the listeners and watchers better manage their stress and their emotions? I think you have to become really intimate with what those stressors are. So you have to get to know yourself in a different way that allows you to anticipate what could stress you out, which would then give you a chance to create a contingency plan for that thing. So if you know that not having money to do frivolous things with is a source of stress for you, then maybe you want to think about how you allocate funds whenever you get paid or how you can have a side hustle to make money that you can just use for those frivolous things. By getting to understand better what A plus B equals C for us, um, we can then put ourselves in the optimal position to be as healthy and positive as possible. And we have to also learn to embrace the things that we need to feel good, whether they might seem juvenile or stupid or, you know, unnecessary. If it means something to you and serves a purpose for you, then it's not a bad thing, potentially, as long as it's healthy. Okay. Okay. So finding, finding ways of, of managing, finding ways of controlling and getting to know who you are because without really digging into the emotion of it, you don't really understand how to manage it or how it manifests. Is is that? Yeah. I mean, so I can give you a personal example. I love to travel pre-COVID, right? And so I know that traveling is my way of self-care and my way of feeling like I'm working so hard and this is my reward for it. So I may not buy fancy clothes or shoes don't count. I may not buy fancy clothes or, you know. Go get um, them to yours. Yeah, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> but I will buy the shoes. No, but, um, but I know that if I can, if, as long as I have my travel, whether it's once a month or four times a year, um, that's my way of feeling like 
I have something to look forward to that then sustains me for the rest of the year when I'm working and unable to get away. So that's my financial thing. That's my, my big spending item is always travel. Okay. Okay. And that, and that follows quite well because in a lot of scenarios, people get, people get into trouble and I've done this as well. You get into trouble trying to do both. So you know you love travel. How about you optimize your finances for the travel part of your life rather than trying to do travel, trying to do drip, trying to do luxury house, trying to do side pieces for those of us in that kind of business, but black men don't cheat. Right. Um, <laughs> no and, comment. <laughs> so yeah, okay. Part of it is really understanding the, the ins and outs of of what makes you feel the way you do and really honing in on the things that you want to highlight and managing the one the things that cause you the most stress and conflict. Okay. So now we're going to get into a couple of the scenarios. Now, this one is from Kate in Newcastle. So Kate says, I grew up in a home where money wasn't an issue, but my partner didn't. Every time I want to spend money on something, he gets really stressed and worked up. What can we do to get past this? So there is something about money and spending that for your partner is tied to his idea of survival and happiness, right? Because you didn't have the experience of going without, and he does. He's trying to make sure that he can avoid reliving that experience as best as possible. What I would do is sit down with him and talk about what is the ideal scenario of spending that keeps him comfortable? Meaning, is it about paying bills before they're due? Is it about having a set account that you both put money aside to cover your expenses that get withdrawn from that account so he can rest assured, regardless of how many shopping bags she comes in the house with, I know that the bills or the important things as I see them are covered. Mm. Um, and then you also have to be honest about what you're going to be spending on and what you're going to be spending, whether it's the dollar amount or the frequency or whatever the case is, so that he can decide for himself if he's comfortable with being with someone who's going to operate in that way. Neither of you are wrong in the situation. Nothing that you're, either of you are feeling is necessarily bad. It's about making it more compatible. So without either of you changing who you are, how can you operate different, differently in the relationship so that you're acknowledging and attending to both of your feelings, but also doing it in a way that is comfortable for each of you? Yeah, and that's exactly how, how I work with people when I'm, when I'm doing the coaching. We find the zone of comfort for, for, you, for you as a couple and then your individual zones of discomfort. So what is it about this person's financial habits that makes you a bit mm, like, or the other person that their financial habits are a bit more lavish about it. So from one perspective, I guess it could be someone is really cheap on everything except for when it comes to buying shoes or someone <laughs> is really, <laughs> that wasn't a personal, personal thing. But <laughs> <laughs> or someone really enjoys spending. Even when you've got a plan that they, st and they say, yeah, we agree with this plan. We're happy with this plan, but there's always something more for them to get finding out how to balance those, those challenges by first of finding out what you agree on. Because often in most, in most scenarios, everyone agrees on paying their bills first, right? Everyone agrees on not having bailiffs turn up at your door to take your stuff. It's usually the less important things and less crucial things that we seem to fall out the most over. But then it comes a question of management. Just like you said, can you set up a fund? So before the treats, do we have... Do we have the Red Bottoms Fund? So whatever's in a Red Bottoms Fund, we can blow it every month on Red Bottoms if that's what you want to do, or every year on Red Bottoms. Do we have the Personal Trainer Fund? Because someone might not even see the point. Why don't you just work out at home? I do it. Finding ways of managing those things and keeping them under control, but also maintaining that flow of communication and checking in with each other. And I think you made a good point about... Um you know, someone feeling like having a personal trainer is pointless because you can work out at home. That's 
speaks to the underlying issue of the less um, important things because we're placing a value on those things. So if I think you buying a new video game every month is stupid because video games don't add value to your life, you know, that's my perception of it. You might feel like my shoes are stupid because you're crazy. And that's your value that you put on things, right? So it's less about you agreeing that video games are stupid or me agreeing that my shoes are necessary, but rather creating a, an environment of respect for this is my thing, you have your thing, here's how we're operating on the things that we're both responsible for, and then creating that um, space for each of us to still operate as individual people. I think another important thing that relates to this particular um, dilemma is, is it a real threat or is it a perceived threat? Meaning, has he ever experienced you not being able to pay for something because you've spent money frivolously on something else? Or is he just afraid of that day coming at some point, but it's never actually happened? Does he have proof to say, for the last three months, the cable bill has not been paid, but you've been able to wear Beyonce's new Ivy Park line? You know, that is different than saying, okay, the bills have always been paid, we've always been good, but I'm just afraid that at some point you won't be able to maintain this. So I think that that's a good way to sort of iron out what are we really dealing with, where does it come from, and then how can we do this differently? Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. In my personal scenario, I got into a chunk of debt, which I've spoken about on a podcast before. And now with my girlfriend, I am very, very deliberate in how I approach her when I talk about finances, because that's our recent history, yeah. where she has... <laughs> she has evidence to the contrary that some of this behavior is not over, if that makes sense. Right. So right. being mindful of that. And Kate, I hope that really answered your, your question as to what to do next to find that zone of comfort and then really figure out how you can manage the things that the expenditures that make your partner uncomfortable. Because I'm sure your partner isn't against you buying food, groceries and all these other things. Um, they might be a, they might be against you buying a certain quality though of food true. and groceries and other things. That's true. the thing too. So even in the necessities, there's still a spectrum of the value we place on what's necessary, what's yeah. important, or what is just your preference versus what you need. Mm. Okay. Okay, so there's, there's a lot to unpack and discuss in that one case. So you guys need to find where your levels are and also mm -hmm. put some budgets around those. So there's some financial controls that still manage the emotional side of it. So it might be that, you know what, rather than buying the value brand of a cereal, that the splash out is on getting the high end, I say high end cereal, like cereals high end, but the brand <laughs> right, name. The brand name. <laughs> the brand name. Well, in the box, not in the bag, right? <laughs> Well, to be fair, everything is in the box in the UK, but some of them just, oh, okay. they're just plain white boxes that say <laughs> sugar, sugar, corn, <laughs> sugar corn or frosted or kind of frosted this wow. with powder at the bottom of the bag. But, <laughs> but yeah, okay. So the next dilemma, we got this one in from Raquel, who is in Lewisham, Southeast London. Um, I don't know why I said that. Like, I'm not from North yeah, London. Yeah, are you repping your set? What's happening over here? I, I'm from North London, so I don't even know what happened. Um, <laughs> I know I spend too much money, but I only... I know I spend too much money, but I only feel happy when I'm spending. I get sad and withdrawn if I don't have something new to wear or drive. I'm in a lot of debt, but I can't seem to stop spending. Whew, this one is loaded. This yeah. one is... <laughs> So I would say to Raquel that it's not about the money. There's something else happening that you're using money to cope with. And you probably need to get professional help from a few different places. The first might be a financial advisor who can help you put things in perspective around a plan to manage the debt before it really consumes you. Um, the second person you want to speak with is a therapist because this is a thing we discussed earlier that can happen in perpetuity, right? You can always buy more, buy new, be in Target or wherever and shop till you drop on stupid things that might feel like it's just a dollar, it's just $3, but those things add up very quickly, right? So um, you really want to spend some time thinking about the triggers you have that then compel you to spend. So when do you spend the most? Is it right before payday or is it right after? Is it after talking to your mom who might trigger you in ways you don't, you don't realize that you then go and spend? Is it because you're healing from a breakup that you think you're over 
that um, then compels you to spend? Mm. Is it when you reminisce about or look on Instagram and see your friends doing lavish things or seemingly carefree that you then feel like, well, why can't I do that? Um, So there's something that is fueling and maintaining the spending habits that have nothing to do with the things you're buying or the money you're spending. This is just your way of controlling your emotions or making yourself feel like you're controlling your emotions because you're doing something about it, but the thing you're doing about it is unhealthy. And it's, it's going to you know, lead you to financial ruin at some point, if yeah. not already, it sounds like. Yeah. And for someone who's been in the debt spiral before, acknowledging how much debt you're in is really the first step as in counting up every last penny and writing it in big, bold letters in front of big, bold numbers in front of you. So you know it and those around you know it, those who are going to be impacted by your indebtedness and those who care about you enough to want to support you through it. Because if it's still a secret, it's your secret. And it's, it's not a problem that gets dealt with. It's not something that you can go out and, and seek financial advice for. It's not something that you can actually go into therapy and start unpacking the motivations for these things, the things that make it really difficult for you to, to not spend. Because the thing we want to avoid is financial transference, where it's like, oh, I'm going to stop spending 500 pounds on shoes, but progressively I'm spending that on food every month. So the money's still going out. You're still in debt. But the smaller transactions, which can seem like you're making progress, and that's not always the case. So, so Raquel, lots of work to do, but I honestly think you can get there. I know you can get there. Keep listening and keep checking out some of the resources on our website because we will be able to help you through this. And build a team around you, get some accountability around you as well because that is crucial to have honest people around you, people that hold you accountable to the decisions you're making. And before you know it, you'll be on the other side of this thing. Now, we've got one last scenario in this section from Ricardo in Cape Verde. So, wow. Okay, we global. Not, not, so, we've got an American and someone on the coast of Africa in the same podcast. Um, so, I'm the only financially successful person in my family, and I feel the pressure to support my parents and siblings, even when I know it's hurting me. Do you have any advice on how to not let the emotional blackmail affect me so much? Now, this I can relate to. <laughs> yeah, um, I can relate to this as well. I think that you have to, first and foremost, become comfortable with their discomfort. Um, you know, it's not your job to save the people in your family. I definitely empathize with wanting to help. And I empathize with feeling um, this familial duty that very closely mirrors obligation, right? Loyalty and obligation are very different things, but they show up with the same costume on. And you have to decide where's that line for you. So what is your hard and fast limit with what you're able to do for your family, but still feel comfortable and able to do for yourself? They always say that you can't give from an empty cup right? So if you're giving and giving them and their bills are paid, but then yours aren't, who's going to come and save you? Because they can't, right? They can't afford to help you. So it's not even about sort of choosing you over them, but to some extent it might become that. And I think that's okay. I don't think selfish is a dirty word. I think it's important to be selfish so that you can keep being who you are to other people. If you aren't able to sustain yourself then you have no use to anybody else. You can't help even when you want to. So you'll have to maybe decide for yourself, I can afford to give my family $100 a month. What they do with that money, they can split it up six different ways, figure it out. That's my contribution every month in their hands or in the account, and that's it. If they need more, they got to wait till next month. I can't do bigger than that. And you may have to tell them and set this boundary with them of, I love you and it's not a reflection of how I feel about you, but I just simply can't sustain this. I can't keep doing. The well is going to run very dry and then we're all going to be in the same position, right? So here's what I can afford. Here's what I can help you with. Now, I think there's still a piece of that. Even when you take these action-oriented steps, you're still going to possibly have some guilt. You're maybe going to feel like that's not fair, or if I don't do for them, who else is going to do for them? 
Um, you know, I'm ordering Uber Eats twice a week and they have to cook meatloaf every night. That doesn't feel good. Um, so you'll have to reconcile that within yourself. You'll have to think about how can I manage my guilt, but not have the guilt compel me then to do more than I can afford to do. Um, you'll also maybe have to get comfortable and used to them not liking you so much and them not you know, talking to you as favorably or as often or them having some resentment towards you. And that's a hard thing to sit with because these are people that you love. This is your family and they mean a lot to you, but it's not about you, essentially. If their love, affection, communication to you is tied to what you can do for them, um, I think that's something you want to explore and, and process whether in therapy, whether, whether with them or with other trusted people in your life. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the key thing here because I found that with my family in Nigeria, there, and even my family over in the UK, there is almost no amount of money you can give someone for them to never want to want to ask you for more in the future. And some, some, some strategies I found to manage this is whenever someone asks me for money, I never answer on the spot. I say, let me check. I know precisely how much is in my bank account. And I say, I'll come back to you at like, the end of the day, I'm finishing something now, whatever it is. But I never, ever commit to a number on the spot because usually that's how you end up in financial jeopardy. Even if you know what's in your account, you need to cultivate the habit of saying, let me check. Let me make sure I've got it. Um, I'm not sure if I do, but I'll come back to you. So you're managing the expectation, but you're giving yourself distance to step away because in that moment when they ask, you can feel under pressure. In that moment when they ask, you can, you can see the need sometimes written on their face. And that can be hard to manage. The second part of that, but just like Dr. Racine said, it's about um, having a line item, having a budget for it and not exceeding that budget. So if you find that, that month to month, you've got £100 or $100 limit, if they don't ask for any money, don't move that money out. Keep the money there. Keep the money there and keep making your monthly contribution or your weekly, no matter what your cycle of contribution is, keep that, keep that account increasing. You don't need to touch the money, so leave it there. If and when they do ask, the second part of this is not to produce money instantaneously. In many cases, I delay giving money by a day or two, to, just so they can see that it wasn't easy for me to produce this money. Not because I haven't got it, but because you're now conditioning people to have a behavior like, I just asked for this and it just comes. Okay, so that's fine. People just automatically get used to it. And then the one time you say no, or the one time it's not instantaneous, it's almost as if you never gave them anything to start off with. And then the, the other piece of that is, is around how much money you give them. So often, even if I can afford it, if someone asks me for 100, I say, after I've looked and come back to you a day or so later, I say, you know what, I could probably do 55. Not because I haven't got the 100, but because I know for a fact that if I give you the full amount, it won't be enough. And if that's all I have, next time you ask me in two weeks, what, then what do I do? And in addition to that, you that person will find and you will find that if you don't give them the full amount, the disaster doesn't necessarily happen. My cousins in Nigeria called me multiple times a year saying they're passing away. Yet that they're suffering and they're dying of hunger yet to get a phone call to attend the funeral. And I'm not saying that I want that to happen, but what you find is that people's situations, they will find a solution after they've, they've exhausted the default solution that they have, is, which is you. Because often people's default is not to go and work harder or to find a solution for themselves. It's just to go and ask someone who they think has got it and they feel entitled to. So in this situation, Ricardo, I would put some of those restrictions in place in these systems and it's going to take some time. It took me, I had, to, I had to go on a journey of a year of no, of literally saying no to anything. Even if I could do it, I'd say no, just so I got comfortable saying it. And then you can start saying yes progressively as and when it makes sense for you. Because if you don't do that, it gets to the point where just like they, t they tell you on, on every flight, you have to put on your breathing apparatus thing before you can put on someone else's. Because if, you, if you're not in position when the big disaster happens, 
what happens then? What happens when people really need you if you spent all your time managing the small crises that they probably wouldn't, wouldn't have needed a solution to from you at least? I think it also goes back to your self-identity as well. If you feel like I'm a good person because I help my family or this is what it means to me to be a good son or to be a good brother, then you'll have even more layers to deal with, right? Around changing that behavior. But again, if you've created this definition about who you are, you can then change that definition. You can expand it to include, I'm a good son because I help when I can, but also because I compel my family to figure something else out too. I help them figure out other resources that may be available to them, like you said, that they would never look into because I'm always the only one helping. So if I'm unable to, or I'm unavailable, they then have other ways of getting what they need. And that's because I've either helped them find those resources or my lack of participation made them find them on their own. Um, I think either way you go, it's really about putting your needs first and your comfort level first and making them adjust to that. This may also lead to some cutoff in your family. Some people may not like you having these boundaries. They may not like you saying no, um, but that becomes their cross to bear. And you don't have to own that as a sign that you're doing something wrong or bad. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just the final point on this section is that when I've, I found that people, they have the person that they like to ask because they think everyone else is going to say no. When, I, when someone's asked me for the 100 and I've given them 55, then I've gone, oh, can we get 10 from here and 15 from there and 20 from there and all of a sudden we've got all the money we need. But it didn't have to come from you. And now you've mm. pulled all those other people in that usually don't put their hand in their pocket because they know, oh, oh, Ricardo's got it, that's fine. No. Right. You need to, by constantly going in your pocket, you've conditioned everybody. So the person asking and the people no longer being asked that Ricardo handles all of this. And that's a lot of pressure for you to carry. So that is that section on the discussion. I hope you guys have really, really got some value from that because I know some of you will be relating to these scenarios. After the break, we're going to go over some next steps. And as always, the quick tip. So stay tuned. You may not know this, but we have a Patreon page. Patreon is a platform that makes it super easy for people to support creators. Here at Black Millennial Money, our mission is to reach millions of people around the world with life-changing financial information, and you can be part of that. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Black Millennial Money or click the link in the description to sign up and start supporting us today. So we are back and we are here for the quick tip from Dr. Racine. So Dr. Racine, what is the quick tip for today's episode? The quick tip is you cannot get rid of what you feel organically. You have to understand that your body, your mind, your emotions are going to have subconscious reactions and signals that you can't get rid of. What you can do is work on what comes next. So as we've been discussing throughout this whole episode, when you feel the feeling, acknowledge it, but then also learn to embrace it. Don't try so hard to get rid of it right away that you then become organized around it and spend all this time and energy trying to get rid of what's already happening naturally. Instead, go towards it, embrace it, get to know it and understand it so you can then do something about it that actually helps reduce the impact and reduce some of the bad feelings that you're experiencing because of whatever this trigger is connecting you back to. Whether it's an experience, a relationship, an interaction, no matter what the root cause is, spend time working on that and addressing that so that you're properly attending to what can be changed and how you can feel healthier and happier. Perfect. I don't even know if I could sum that up any better. Uh, give it a shot. So if, if you're going through something, if you're going through something, allow it to happen. Let it wash over you. Feel it, understand it, but don't rush to decisions. Don't rush to any action. Just stay in the moment. We see this all the time with kids where it's like, take a deep breath and manage your temper and all of these things. These are still the practices and working behaviors that will stop us from playing ourselves financially. So take that moment, feel it, process it, and accept it. So Dr. Racine, we have come almost to the end of the episode. 
We are now talking about the next steps. And these are the actionable things that everyone listening can do to manage their emotions when it comes to money. Understanding that triggers are perfectly normal. But what you do after being triggered, whether that's on Twitter or with your debit or credit card, is completely up to you. So those three next steps, what are they, Dr. Racine? The first one is create a safety net for yourself. Um, for whatever it is that you feel most indulgent about, shoes, travel, food, whatever keeps you comfortable and keeps you less stressed. Um, one thing that works for me is I have some savings accounts that are automated, so I don't even notice or see or have to do anything to have the money siphoned out of my account every week, every month. That way, when I need that money, it's there, and whatever is left over, I can then use for budgeting or bills or other things and not having to feel like, oh, crap, this thing came up, and now what do I do? And you're not left to scramble. So the more protection you can put in place, I think the better you can feel in control of what's happening to you and the things that you have to be financially responsible for. The second thing I would say would be to create a budget. I'm a very visual person. I like to write things out. I like to make lists on top of lists. So if that helps you, whether it's an app you use or if you use QuickBooks or Microsoft Excel or whatever the case is, create a budget so you can see where your money's being allocated every month. Like you said earlier, add up the dollars and cents. Look at the debits in your account. Look at how much money you're spending on all your various subscriptions, on all of your you know, random purchases on Amazon or wherever else, how many times you're using Apple Pay and all of that stuff. Look at your receipts, figure out where the bulk or the lesser of your money is going and decide if that's comfortable for you. If it's not, work on reallocation, work on canceling some things, going without, work on stretching what you already have using your resources and figuring out how to make this more comfortable for you and as practical as possible. If it's not realistic, it's not a real solution. If you can't sustain it, if you can't keep it up, then it's not going to work. The last thing that I have to advocate for, being a mental health professional, being um, someone who does therapy every day, someone who has been to therapy, go to therapy, seek out a therapist. So much of what we go through is intrinsically linked from our feelings, thoughts, and our actions. And we often need someone else who is neutral, who's not invested in us emotionally or otherwise, to help us realize what we're doing and why we're doing it. And then we're in a position to change it. So your therapist is not going to solve your problems. Your therapist is not going to erase your debt. But your therapist can help facilitate some of the changes that you need to make in order to feel healthier and happier. I'm all about being purposeful, being intentional, and being as healthy and happy as possible on your own terms. And therapy is a good way to help you get to that optimal place. That is amazing for a list of next steps and to be fair i know you're uh, a therapist and it's all mental and emotional in a lot of ways but really a lot of it's practical and you do that as well because the first step is all about actually building up that safety net and the second step in the same way is controlling how money moves around because as we know we can't get rid of our emotional triggers but we can limit their action that we can limit their impacts and the way we respond to them so if you know that you're someone somewhat like me who, who gets in a wormhole of barbecue videos on YouTube and is about to blow up his account on Uber Eats, set a budget for that. I know that I can, I can go to town on one Uber Eats a week without messing me up. So if I'm, if I'm watching barbecue videos on Wednesday, I know on Friday I can do it. If I've, if I've, already, got, if I've already got there and I've spent my money earlier in the week, you have to turn off the barbecue videos because you know you're going to end up playing yourself financially. So once you've got that system in place, it can make it a lot easier to then get the breathing room to actually seek the help you need. Because all of us, to some degree, in fact, not even to some degree, all of us need therapy. Whether that means talking to someone because we've had a specific trauma or whether it's just talking to someone to discuss the future and the uncertainty we may feel about that. We all need that extra resource. We all need that support. So step number one, put some money to the side to make sure you can manage your emotions. 
Step num- as a safety net. Step number two, put a budget in place so, and put a line item in for the things that you really enjoy. You may not be able to do everything, but make sure there's something in there. And step number three is making sure you seek out therapy and support. And that support can also come by financial advice as well as emotional, mental, and physical support. Can I also add a quick number four? Go this for is it. breaking the rules, but I think it's okay. Uh, so the Americans do, right? Um, <clears throat> I think want, number... We don't need to do that. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> I think number four needs to be giving yourself some grace also. You can't do what you don't know how to do. So until you know better, you probably aren't going to do better. But once you do know better, then you're being called to task to really change your habits and behaviors. But you're going to make mistakes. Any new process is going to involve setbacks. It's going to involve falling off track. That's okay. Let yourself have those moments and focus more on how you get back on path. So let's say you do blow the Uber Eats budget twice in one week. What you do then isn't beat yourself up about it and say, forget it. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing because clearly I can't change. Instead, you maybe cut something else out next week and get back on track. You give yourself that room to be human because we all have those moments. That's okay. Don't get so caught up in the mistake that you forget that you're in a process and any process takes time. Absolutely. Now that brings us to the end of our episode. Dr. Racine, it has been incredible having you on. Um, I'll tell Oprah she can have you back next week. But (laughs) in in the hour we've been together, we've covered so many things and I hope we've Mm -hmm. added a lot of value to people. I'm letting you know you will be invited back. Hopefully we can get you back on. Oh, thank you. I'll check with Oprah, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'll book you in well ahead of time. Don't worry. (laughs) Um, But people are going to be listening to this and wanting to know how they can connect with you and engage with you. Even though you are in the US, there is Mm -hmm. a big wide world of internet. How can people get hold of you? What's the best ways to reach out to you? So the best way would be through my website, which is www.sankofatherapynyc.com. And Sankofa is spelled S as in Sam, A, N as in Nancy, K as in kangaroo, O, F as in Frank, A, the word therapy, and then NYC. And my Instagram handle is the same, Sankofa Therapy NYC. Please feel free to reach out, interact. Even if I can't be your therapist, um, you know, we can still stay in touch. And um, hopefully I can help you be healthier and happier. Amazing. And all of that will be linked up in the show notes, which you can find on blackmillennialmoney.com. And in the show notes underneath this episode, whether you're watching on YouTube or Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this right now. And if you want to stay in touch with Black Millennial Money, you can find us at our website, which is blackmillennialmoney.com, on Instagram, which is BMM Global, and on Twitter, which is BMM Global Pod. Lastly, if you haven't joined our Patreon, you do not know what you're missing, you're on the cusp of supporting a movement that's transforming lives with life-changing financial education as well as the balance of the mental and spiritual and emotional sides of handling money, being a human, and living your best life on all metrics. If you want those Dior's, this is the podcast <laughs> to listen to. So thank you so much for listening. Next week, we're going to be talking about investing. Stay tuned for that and like and subscribe wherever you are. And if you like this episode, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you are not on Apple Podcasts, head over to YouTube and drop a comment. Thank you. This is Black Millennial Money. This is Black Millennial Money, boy. This is Black Millennial Money. 